Stay tuned for The Turning Point with Mike Fader. how it feels. I don't know. I don't know how it feels to be free. Once in a while. I mean, uh, how often in the course of a day do you realize how it feels to be free? Or are you, are you just so free, <laughs> if you're lucky, are you just so free that you don't have to actually realize it? You just are free. But I don't know how, how often. Uh, but me, <clears throat> a couple of minutes a day, um, you know, and if I have a good run on a certain day, maybe half an hour. <coughs> <coughs> Anyhow, you know, I was thinking the old time, uh, old time stand up comedians uh, from the 50s, they say this is when um, people would, uh, you know, take um, take planes uh, to different cities for club dates and for for uh, dates at theaters, you know, concert dates for comedians. But basically for clubs, and they, they apparently they would, you know, the opening line was, "I just flew in from Las Vegas, and boy are my arms tired." You know, they opened with some tired joke like that, or "I just got in, I just flew in from Detroit, and boy are my arms tired." Well, I had to tell you, I just came here into the studio from Midtown Manhattan, and boy is my brain fried. You know, so uh, I think what I'm going to do is open up, and this will lead to this article I wanted to talk about later. Uh, in a little while, actually. So uh, I want to open up with some something I found on YouTube. It's called Desert Sounds. Ah! 
It's nice, right? <clears throat> Uh-oh, it's a rattlesnake. Eh, maybe it's not so nice. But uh, that, the, that high <coughs> sound you hear in the background is um, probably a hawk. I don't know if any eagles make that sound, but it's probably hawks. And um, I can't identify all this. I'm not, uh, but I do hear that rattling. <laughs> Nevertheless, a couple of times in my life, uh, twice actually, I went out to the desert in New Mexico. And I know a lot of people love to go into the woods. I like the woods too, in the Northeast. But um, the desert was my place. I loved that place. I don't know, was it part of my DNA from a long time ago? But it was quiet and spiritual and peaceful and beautiful and uh, calming, calming. And I did have the feeling of being free. So let's hear just a little bit more before I go to this article. That's obviously that's obviously a rainstorm in the desert, a sudden rainstorm. There's um, this is a, it's on YouTube if you wanted to check it out. It's uh, called Desert Sounds. I think it's about ten hours of it. But when they do that, uh, I think I'm used to this by now. When you see something that's ten hours long, basically it's an hour that they did, and they just keep repeating it. But um, finally, you realize it after a while. But it, you know, if you're into it, it goes on and on. It's really nice. <clears throat> so here's an article um, that was in a paper the other day called British Supermarket to Have Quieter Hour for People with Autism. London, dim the lights, silence the piped-in music, turn down the checkout beeps. For an hour on Saturdays, a British supermarket chain is introducing a weekly quieter hour aimed at helping people with autism have a better shopping experience by easing sensory overload. The move by the supermarket Morrison's, which begins on Saturday and runs from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., <clears throat> only an hour, but still, has been uh, welcomed by the National Autistic Society, which says that even small changes can make uh, a big difference in the lives of people with autism and their families. Um, <clears throat> here's a quote uh, from, the, uh, from the National Autistic Society. Around 700,000 people are on the autism spectrum in the U.K., Tom Purser of the National Autistic Society said in an email. This means that they see, hear, and feel the world differently than other people, often in a more intense way, which can make shopping, and I suppose living in general, a real struggle. Autism is a lifelong developmental disability that affects how people communicate and relate to others and how they experience the world around them. More than 60% of people with autism avoid shops, and 79% say that they feel socially isolated, according to figures published by, by the society. And part of, I guess, part of the feeling of socially isolated is that they avoid anything um, where there's a crowd or even more than a few people or where there's noise, which includes... Supermarkets. <clears throat> Morrison's effort is part of the National Autistic Society's Too Much Information campaign, TMI. Last year, more than 5,000 retailers across Britain participated in Autism Hour. The society hopes to expand the initiative. Morrison's, the fourth largest supermarket chain in Britain, said in a statement on its website, Listening to customers, we found that one in five had a friend or family member with autism. And many liked the idea of being able to shop in, a more, comf in, in more comfort uh, at 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturday. Um, just have a little water here. Autism. Boy, nobody, anybody with autism couldn't possibly work in this area where, um, where the studios and offices of PRN are. I mean, it's really extraordinary. 
<clears throat> but there are people. <clears throat> what is the other fringe? You know, there was there, there's uh, people on the autism spectrum, as much as I know about it. Uh, and uh, at uh, one fringe um, is are people who are just basically um, disabled. They can't go anywhere or do anything. Uh, the world is just too much for them. Anybody else, even even another person, is too much for them. But I, when I'm walking around the city in Manhattan, when I walk around Manhattan and different places and I look at uh, people, <clears throat> I see what looks like the opposite part of the, uh, the opposite direction from autism. People who function in a huge bowl of chaos and noise and uh, um, visual and audio um, stimulus, stimuli. It's amazing, and it doesn't seem to bother them at all. In fact, they just—they're uh, laughing, they're walking around, they're taking it easy, they're uh, participating in all kinds of activities. In fact, I think many more people are like that. Um, obviously, there's a medium range of people for whom um, any kind, any kind of uh, you know regular noise is um, is acceptable, but too much noise is not. But in Manhattan. I've never been to any other city for for a long time, so I wouldn't know. But in Manhattan, <clears throat> the amount of noise is so extraordinary, and yet you could go all of you can go to restaurants is uh, up in my neighborhood and like throughout the city, but especially in my neighborhood, there are a million restaurants, and there are a million people in every one of them. It seems like, and uh, cars are driving by, people honking horns, motorcycles. They're in their restaurants. Um, and you could walk past them, and they're they're yelling at each other. They're sitting right across the table from each other, and they're actually yelling at each other, but laughing and having a good time. I mean, but they could hardly hear each other because of the noise in the restaurant. I mean, Manhattan is that way. I think, really, that you have to be younger for that to work that way. <coughs> Anyhow, in a statement, continuing with this article, in a statement, Angela Gray part of a community group uh, that builds ties with the supermarket. I guess Angela Gray is the name of the community group. Is quoted as saying, I was involved in the initial... Uh, oh, no, this is... Uh, yeah, Angela Gray, I'm sorry, is part of a community group that builds ties with the supermarket, Ms. Gray. She said, I was involved in the initial trial as my son is autistic, and we found that these changes made a real difference. The trial showed... There is a need for a quieter shopping experience for some customers. I mean, I would say for all customers. You go into a supermarket. I don't know how it is out um, in other places. Like if you're out on Long Island or Westchester or wherever you're listening to this. I don't know what your supermarkets are like. But in Manhattan, it's um, <clears throat> booming music and uh, jumping graphics. And at 10 million, um, to, you know, um, Articles to be looking at and packaging and people talking and yelling at each other. It's really extraordinary. Anyhow, here's another person. Lisa Chudley of Wandsworth in South London received a diagnosis of autism for her son, Max, when he was seven. <clears throat> During a grocery run last summer, Max fell to the floor, covered his ears, and started to shake uncontrollably. Um... And I can understand it, and I really understand it. I mean, not to not to uh, disrespect anybody who's got autism, but I can really identify. Like many people with autism, Max, now 13, was struggling to cope with the bright lights, loud noises, and crowds associated with shopping at a large supermarket on a weekend, she said in an interview. We just avoid the shops, especially at peak time, said Ms. Chudley, who usually does her shopping online, but made an exception that weekend because there was no available delivery slots. Um, what can, um, let's see, what can already be an overwhelming experience for your average person is 10 times as chaotic for Max, who feels uh, things much more intensely than we do, Ms. Chudley said. Some shopping environments can be torture for autistic children. Shopping can be equally stressful for adults with autism. Billy Jade, a 21-year-old from Derbyshire, Derbyshire, England, who blogs about her condition, says she tries to avoid big stores as much as possible. I will sometimes go to a supermarket to pick up ingredients for baking, she wrote in a post. 
I will make sure that before I enter the shop, I have saved photos on my phone of exactly <clears throat> what I am looking for so that I can get in and out as fast as I can. I think I'll have a little uh, tea here. <clears throat> but it's not, you know, like, you know, I'm reading, obviously, about uh, people with autism, but, uh, man, everybody, I think, everybody. Uh, anyhow, she says, squeezing through trolleys of people chatting noisily um, amongst themselves, and there's a mixture of offensive smells. That's all part of it, too. It's not just um, the... Um, the audio and the visual, it's uh, what things smell like, right? Is not a pleasant experience for me, <clears throat> Miss Jade added. On top of this, I find the product placement confusing, and often I can't locate what I need, right? <laughs> you walk up a supermarket, or a supermarket uh, aisle, and there is, what, two million different things, all different colors, <clears throat> Um, instead of approaching staff members for assistance, Ms. Jade said she would often panic and leave the, sh the shop empty-handed. Movie theaters in Britain, this is interesting, right? Movie theaters in Britain have also introduced similar initiatives, hosting autism-friendly screenings by reducing stimulation and sound. Now, I mean, I think I've noticed no, I don't go to the movies that much. I think I've noticed in these very large movie theaters <clears throat> um, a change over the last couple of years. But for a long, long time, you would go into a movie theater, especially if you're there to see. Um, it doesn't even matter what movie you were there to see. But if it was a chain movie and a, and a giant, you know, big movie theater, they would have uh, coming attractions for. Um, first of all, they have commercials. So it's not enough you see commercials on TV and everything's in your face all the time anyhow, or even when you're walking around on the streets, at least in Manhattan. But you come into the theater and you see gigantic uh, Pepsi-Colas or dancing Coca-Colas or peanuts flying across your vision, you know, like rocket ships and uh, huge loud music. And these are all just commercials before the movie starts. I haven't, <clears throat> I've noticed, I think, that I haven't seen that as much lately. I don't know, maybe they decided it wasn't working or that it really pisses people off and they just won't buy the product, I wonder. But um, the coming attractions, which seemed like they were about an hour long, <laughs> previews, right? This preview has been approved. This preview, Every preview has been approved for every audience. doesn't matter anymore. You could have um, anything staring you right in the face, a gun, a naked body. It's been approved uh, for people uh, as much as five years old. But um, <clears throat> so, you know, you would hear these sounds. And if it's an action movie, especially, of course, if it's an action movie, explosions, you know, the whole theater vibrates, uh, gigantic noise where I would just routinely cover my ears. I noticed that most people didn't cover their ears, just a couple of people, which leads me to believe that I am really you know, somewhere between, uh, I would never call myself normal, but some on, on the autism, you know, fringe where it meets regular people's reactions to stimuli, I am somewhere hovering around um, the autism fringe. And I would cover my ears up, boom, boom, boom. In fact, uh, the whole theater felt like it was vibrating. It did feel like it was vibrating because the speakers were so gigantic. In fact, <clears throat> what was that movie? There was a movie with John Goodman in it once, uh, where he played a sleazy movie producer and director, and um, he was in a he was in Florida in a movie theater, and um, I remember the name of the movie that he produced, but not the actual movie that the movie was in. The movie he produced was called Mant M A N T, and it was a, it was some cheap grade C nineteen fifties style, uh, real sixties style horror picture, black and white. Um, but what he did was, it wasn't the speakers weren't enough for him uh, to make everybody jump and feel nervous. He actually took huge vibrating machines and located them throughout different parts of the theater so that the actual theater actually vibrated. What was it called? Matinee. Matinee, yeah, which is actually a cute movie. If you want to see an entertaining, cute movie, um, which is sometimes very funny and kind of touching in a kind of a PG-13 way. Um, it's, this is a good movie with John Goodman called Matinee. And um, 
Uh, anyhow, it's, you know, he literally put vibrating machines, I'm giving something away, in the theater. And uh, what, what happens, you'll see if you watch this movie. Hold on. Ah. Anyhow, continuing with this article. <clears throat> These kinds of resources allow autistic people to participate and engage with the world instead of run away from it. What she means is when they reduce the sound and other stimuli in the supermarkets and the theaters. Miss Chudley said, <clears throat> it breaks them free from social isolation, uh, the people who are afflicted with autism. Last year, amid the crush and chaos of the holiday shopping season, a Target in Framingham, is it Framingham? Framingham, Massachusetts, offered, listen to this, sensory-friendly shopping hours. What's made it to America? Amazing. According to local news reports, for three hours on a Sunday, I want to move to Framingham. I want to live there. For three hours on a Sunday in December, the store cut off the music, uh-uh, dimmed some lights, minimized flashing electronic screens, and created a quiet corner for customers. <clears throat> in October, many large supermarket chains across Britain, such as Asda and Tesco, plan to take part in a week of quieter hours. <sighs> yeah. You know, I mean, Absolutely. Autism, uh, the spectrum is obviously, you know, like I mentioned before, as much as I know about it. I mean, anybody who's got autism or and I know some people who whose family members have autism. So I'm not uh, I don't want to disrespect anybody or claim that I know anything about it. But uh, speaking of it and understanding what the symptoms are like, at least by description, I can understand <clears throat> autism, the spectrum. It's severe, sometimes so severe, like I said, that people can't tolerate hardly anything or anybody, and then only under exact conditions and only for a short period of time. What was that movie um, with, um, with um, Tom Cruise about uh, his cousin who had autism? Remember that with um, Dustin Hoffman played the uh, guy? And uh, it was a very, very, now talk about touching, moving, dramatic movie. That was a wonderful movie. Um, I forget the name of it now. Anyhow, Rain Man. Did you see Rain Man? That's a great movie. I like that movie. Anyhow, Rain Man, about somebody with autism, and it's really a wonderful movie. I mean, moving. Anyhow, people <coughs> with autism have a strong reaction to being overstimulated, uh, although what's over varies depending on the person. And like I say, that happens with regular people, too. Um, <coughs> I, I watch uh, baseball on TV all the time. And I see people at the stadiums, and uh, last time I went to a baseball game was about 30 years ago, and there's different reasons. I went to a Mets game 30 years ago, and um, almost caught a ball, a foul ball behind uh, home plate. But um, um, there are reasons why I haven't gone in 30 years, and I'd like to one day again, but I don't know if I will. Because when you go to the stadiums now, that was 30 years ago. I don't know what it was... But now, um, and I watched games on TV now, I would never go into a crowded stadium, just like I can't really successfully go into any kind of large uh, place, like a museum. Even the art galleries that are crowded bother me, any kind of crowded place. So um, uh, that's the way that is. <clears throat> but uh, it depends. I mean, like some people, it doesn't make any difference. I watch the stadiums, and I see people, sometimes crowded stadiums, the Mets stadium is not so crowded these days because of the way the Mets are. But uh, I watch Yankee Stadium or I watch uh, Fenway Park or places where the teams are doing well. And, it's, and they're screaming. People are screaming and yelling. Okay, that's one thing. People always yelled and cheered at the games. But in fact, they don't make all that much noise on the other hand sometimes because they're all staring at their cell phones. And um, is it just me or uh, – <clears throat> and is this purely sexist – but when you watch on TV and you watch uh, people sitting in the expensive seats behind home plate, and sometimes you see that when they, when they pan around to different places in the stadium, it seems as if half or three-quarters of the women who are at the game spend the entire game looking at, the, um, <laughs> looking at, at their phones and talking on their phones. I mean, a lot of the men do too, but mostly the women are looking at their phones. I don't know, but... Uh, you know, maybe they got taken there by, maybe they wanted to go there with their boyfriends or their husbands uh, or their kids. You know, they were doing a nice thing for their kids, being good mothers. But um, they weren't really into baseball. But um, 
not only <clears throat> is the cheering obviously loud, <clears throat> but the electronics have changed over the last 30, 40 years, obviously, again. And they have a gigantic, I mean, it looks like it's about uh, a screen. They have a digital screen um, with millions of numbers. And then when somebody comes up to the plate, um, they have a picture of the person there. And this screen is in the outfield. It's maybe, I'm guessing, uh, 40 by 60 feet. It's huge. It is gigantic. And uh, on ribbons and bands all the way around uh, the stands at the different uh, levels, there are um, uh, graphics. And they're always jumping up and down. And, just, and some of them say, make noise. You know, scream, you know, shout your guts out, whatever it is. It's extraordinary, the amount of sound. And I had a friend uh, went to a game, was it about, um, it was in June. And he told me that <clears throat> much as he loved baseball <clears throat> and loved to go to the games, he, he couldn't stand it. He just couldn't stand it. And, he, and, he, and then you wonder, how do the ball players deal with this? I mean, they're standing up at home plate trying to see the ball so they can hit it. And... How do they manage to? They hit it pretty well, but they they block out this huge amount of uh, of visual stimuli. I mean, there are in some places in the walls in the outfield, they're digital walls, and they're jumping up and you know there are graphics going back and forth. There's uh, you know ads. There's people's pictures. There's numbers everywhere. Things are flashing. Make noise. <laughs> uh, I could never I could never go to a place like that. Anyhow. <clears throat> this overstimulate. I was always, you know, I was always a kid who was overstimulated, who who, who just couldn't handle stimuli. I think uh, it's part congenital. Uh, you're just born with this, right? <clears throat> and uh, part the the house I grew up in, the kind of crazy house I grew up in. I mean, I know people have moved out of the city for just that reason to escape the overload, and people who can afford it live in the city but have a house in the country that they escape to as many weekends as they can. But you have to have a lot of money for that. Um, I think uh, in addition to all the other reasons people are glued uh, visually and audibly, audibly, audibly to their phones, one of the reasons is, is to create a small personal zone of controlled input of stimuli to combat the larger uncontrolled public chaos all around them. So I think people are uh, who appear to be not caring about the chaos all around them and the stimuli are able to deal with it specifically because they're plugged in uh, with their headphones on and staring at these things. So they control, they limit the amount of input to something that they choose. Um, <clears throat> also, you know, kids who have been subjected to more or less constant assault even if it's just loud noise and emotional explosions, can start to just tune out to remove themselves to another world where it's quiet and ordered, not even see or hear what's going on around them. When I was little, I lived in a madhouse. I mean, practically, literally a madhouse. And I developed a habit of concentration on whatever I was doing uh, so intense that I literally didn't see or hear uh, the craziness going on around me. I was so far gone at one point that it was really completely unnatural. I mean, it wasn't even safe. I wasn't getting uh, the necessary verbal and oral clues that you need just to get safely through the day. But, you know, I was inside, so I was okay. Um, <clears throat> naturally, my clueless family thought it was cute and even a good sign that I could ignore everything around me and concentrate on what I was doing. They, they had predictions that I was so intensely able to concentrate that I would become a big success and so because of that one tool I had, right? They didn't understand that I was ignoring them uh, so completely that, I, that they called it concentration. I guess, but I guess in a way this is a good quality to have, right? Uh, an intense curiosity about things. Um, and so you focus in on it. Focus is important in every successful endeavor. Focus is important if you're focusing on your body, if you're focusing on another person, if you're focusing on a task that you're performing or you have a profession, you have to focus. Uh, but what my family didn't get was that I was escaping to another world, and that's what they took to be focus. Anyhow, <clears throat> this, this quality is what I figure a lot of artists and scientists have. I mean, whatever the origin, an ability to ignore everybody and everything, 
outside of their art or scientific research. I think a lot of, I've known a lot of artists and some scientists, and they really are this way. Um, like seemingly everything else in life, especially things that are extreme, every character trait contains in itself, isn't this true, its opposite quality. So in other words, what can be a useful quality in one way, even an admirable one, comes with a cost, right? Um, pour myself some more uh, hot tea. This is something, God bless her, my wife makes up in the morning for me when I come down to do this show. Uh, great. <clears throat> With honey in it. <clears throat> honey from my honey. Um, so, like, but luckily for me, you know, like I say, it was okay because I was indoors, the tuning everything out, all sensory input, right? But luckily, I lived in a quiet neighborhood, very quiet, very little traffic, no street crime, no construction or demolition going on. I think that if I lived in Manhattan and was walking around half in another world the way I used to be, I would have been in constant danger of extinction. You know, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have seen all these clues. But um, <clears throat> this sensory withdrawal of mine was, at least when it came to material things, um, like noise uh, and, um, you know, movement, this quality of being able to remove myself was replaced by the time I was an adolescent by its complete opposite. I think the two merge, but I went from being, from able to tune everything out to uh, not being able to tune anything out. I mean, I registered the slightest noise or movement around me. I could hear a mouse's whiskers twitch 100 yards away, right? I really, I mean, without exaggeration, uh, I became hypervigilant, and my five senses, especially sight, hearing, and touch, and smell, so that's four of them, right? Um, got so sharp, my senses got so sharp, even over sharp, that I felt like I was being bombarded by sensual, sensual um, um, stimuli, even when things probably seemed calm and quiet to other people. I mean, to me, and this has always happened to me, I hear, um, I hear things. And I said, did you hear that? And a lot of people would say, no, I didn't hear anything. You smell that? No, I don't smell anything. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what kind of thick jerk am I with? Are they awake? But it's me. It's me. It's too much. Uh, and my hearing, I mean, uh, my, first of all, visually, I mean, I could see a rabbit in the cemetery behind my house. I could see a rabbit jump in the grass 50 yards away. I could see bugs crawling on plants in my backyard when people couldn't even see the plants hardly. I could see birds in the trees behind my house uh, twitch their heads around. Tra I could track every leaf blowing in the wind, and I did. My eyes are always sort of, you know, jumping up and down in my head. And my hearing was likewise acute. I mean, I could hear planes in the distance just after they uh, took off or were landing. And this is about, the airport was about 15 miles away at Idlewild Airport, uh, which was renamed after Kennedy was assassinated, uh, became JFK. It used to be called Idlewild. But, and it was very far away. But actually here, I could hear planes um, a couple of minutes after they took off. And I could hear them going into their landing. <clears throat> I could hear cars coming when they were a couple of blocks away in my neighborhood. And like I said, there wasn't that much uh, other noise. And at night, I would hear the wood of the house creaking and shifting, you know, and the sounds of the furnace downstairs in the basement turning on and off. Uh, I heard the expansion and shrinking of the radiator pipes and the steam running through them, all of this. I could hear mice scrambling in the attic right next to my bedroom, in the bedroom through the wall there. I mean, I, all this stuff. And, um, uh, uh, and things touch. Things, uh, at, uh, especially this one, I get like more uh, nervous at times in my life. Things were always too rough, too hard, too warm, too cold. And I always have to be always adjusting things all the time. Uh, with the air conditioner in my apartment, which I'm using these days, um, I'm always turning the uh, thermostat up and down all the time <clears throat> or adjusting how many lamps are on or off or using the dimmer to get it exactly right. Uh, never never could just take it the way it is. And my wife, poor woman, um, is sensitive to her surroundings, uh, very sensitive, especially emotionally, but she does not uh, have this problem. So I'm always jumping up to adjust something. Say, is it too cold? It's okay for me. Is it too warm? Mm, eh, maybe. You smell that? No. <laughs> you hear that? You hear that? What's that noise? I don't know. What is, I don't hear any noise. Oh, okay. 
<clears throat> anyhow, this uh, also this this goes together, right? Along with this hyperacuity, I had probably every allergy that was known to human beings. I mean, and I received weekly injections for these allergies. Did you ever? When, did they do that anymore? I don't think so. When I was a kid, no, they don't do that. Um, they prescribe a different diet. They give you pills, right? I mean, what do they do for allergies? I mean, people who have, like, I had uh, everything, grass and cats and trees and a million things, hay fever. And I, in the 50s and 60s, you were, you were just uh, a dartboard. That What they knew to do was to give you injections. So everybody, went, and I know, I don't know anybody who got these injections, especially kids, <clears throat> whatever made the slightest bit of difference. But somebody got rich. Anyhow, um, <clears throat> I think this hypervigilance is probably good for something. Uh, I think I would have been a good hunter. Yeah. If I grew up in a culture, of course, where there was hunting was important or it was necessary, but uh, we weren't doing a lot of hunting out in Queens in 1958, unless it was to find rare old copies of Superman comics. That's about it. We weren't uh, tracking down beasts to, um, to uh, feed ourselves. <clears throat> For that, we went to the supermarket, which was quiet back in the day. Uh, probably, I would have been a good reconnaissance soldier, I imagine, a good tracker and a scout. But again, there wasn't much call for that where I lived, except possibly to track down and destroy the mice that found their way into our house from the cemetery. That was my job, was my mother was terrified of mice, and I had to go roaming through the house. My father wasn't around. <clears throat> and track down and destroy these poor mice. I set traps which broke their necks. I uh, trapped them in corners and um, um, expired them. <laughs> it was nasty. Uh, did I like doing it? No, not really. But I was good at it. I once I had a therapist once who was in combat in World War II in Europe. <clears throat> and he told me with my particular set of skills, or neuroses as he called them, uh, I would have been a good soldier. I could have uh, used my natural ability to see and hear and smell everything when going on patrols in the front line. He said I would have been good at it. Um, anyhow, I had a chance during Vietnam, right? But I did my best to get out of going to Vietnam. I had absolutely no interest in um, <clears throat> uh, in going there. I had no animus towards those poor people. And also I had no desire to be walking through jungles with snakes and bugs uh, everywhere. Not for me. Thinking back, <clears throat> I should really count myself fortunate that being the way I was, I grew up in a place and during a time when there wasn't so much constant overstimulation everywhere. I mean, now I live in a place like I say, where it's 24-7. I mean, I don't know, you know, the banks, you go in the banks, the supermarkets, and the banks, they have music, uh, two different kinds of music, depending on what part of the bank you're in. It's too loud. There's no need for it. It's a bank. And behind the tellers, gigantic graphic video screens with people, you know, um, you know getting loans as if they just uh, arrived in paradise. Getting a loan from a bank, everybody's big smiles, you know. They're, 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 world, they're just having orgasms. Then it's on these video screens, and people are swimming and jumping and moving around. I don't know. How, I don't know why they do all this. I don't know why they do all this. Um, <clears throat> I grew up in Manhattan, so um, I get, maybe if you grew up in, in a place like this where you're used to it, you, then it doesn't make any difference. So, but I don't know this noise. Do the employees want to hear all this noise? Do they want all these graphics uh, every time they turn around or in their face every minute? I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't think they want all this. So who decides this? The head of Chase Manhattan Bank? The head of Walgreens, super, uh, Walgreens drugstores? The head of a supermarket chain? I mean, who decides to put all this shit in your ears and in your eyes? I mean, I don't think anybody wants this. Um, <clears throat> I mean, everywhere you go into, um, this is the way it is. But uh, when I was growing up, uh, um, every everything was quiet, relatively quiet. I mean, every store and business you went into, it was quiet. The butcher shop was the butcher shop. The drugstore was the drugstore. Same with the hardware store, the candy store, whatever it was, it was quiet. It was just quiet. Uh, I mean, sometimes when you went to get a haircut, they tune the transistor radio to a ball game. That was a big thing. But there was never a TV on or even a radio tuned to a music station. And, yeah, there was music in diners. You know, you went into a diner and they had those little flip jukeboxes. You know, you flip the things. Um, do they still have those? 
Yeah, they do have those. You put a quarter in or something like that. Is it still a quarter? Yeah, some um, some diners still have them. They're like 50 cents or whatever. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, but it was great. I mean, they had all the tunes of the day, and you put it in. What I don't remember is, uh, maybe you remember... Um, when you played it, when you when you put your coin in and you play and you press the button underneath where the uh, flip menu was, was it just the speaker at your booth? Yeah, or? it was just that one speaker at your booth. So and you didn't really hear the speakers in the other booths that much. No. Somehow they figured that out. Yeah, somehow. that was cool. That was cool. Um, anyhow, but basically it was calm and it was peaceful in my neighborhood, especially if you went into a store or any kind of public place, any um, business, a bank. Uh, the bank was as quiet as a library. I mean, you went into the library to read, the actual library, not to talk, and you went into a bank to do your banking, not to be part of a YouTube video. I like growing up in this little town. I mean, it suited my hyperactive nervous system just fine. Um, just fine. The city used to have a law. New York City used to have a law called, uh, I don't know if it's still in the books, it's called Disturbing the Peace. <laughs> what a great law, Disturbing the Peace. Of course, they... Um, Used it for a lot of bad reasons, picking on people they didn't like. But <clears throat> I doubt there's any peace left to disturb, so um, what's the difference? Basically, the new law would be uh, pacifying the disturbance. Anyhow, um, the only time in my life, I think, and I, you know, I still have this. I mean, as far as the autistic part, like I say, I don't know. I mean, I'm not autistic, or maybe I am on one part of the fringe. Maybe I actually am. Uh, I cannot stand any kind of noise or sound uh, for too long or even being around other people for too long. So um, I usually have to find a place that's quiet and simple to, uh, to calm down. It takes me hours sometimes. Um, <clears throat> the only time I ever didn't feel this way was, um, was when I was with my little kids, oddly enough. I was able to handle that kind of stimulation. But anyhow, good for the supermarkets in Britain. I'm glad that they... Um, um, that they're going to do this, and I wish they would do it here 100% of the time. Let's hear some more of those desert sounds. Let's uh, let's hear something. Let's have quiet music. That'll be nice. Uh, some pretty, some beautiful music. Maria Elena.
Maria Elena, a Mexican song. <clears throat> Beautiful song. Um, I think we should build a wall, free associating here, around the White House, a complete wall around the White House and around Congress. Don't let them out. You know, they can go in, but don't let them out unless they go through a, you know, a really serious security check because who needs them? <clears throat> All right, I want to pause here and let you know what's going on with this radio show. As you know very well, if you've been listening to me fairly regularly for the last couple of years and even more so in the last couple of months, <clears throat> as an example there, my throat is a mess. I mean, this all started four, four and a half years ago uh, when, um, as I've mentioned, during emergency surgery, I uh, had a surgeon who nicked one of my vocal cords. And because of this and some other health problems I've had, my voice has never been the same. Uh, and I know this bothers some of you, and it definitely bothers me. Uh, because of the way I use my voice and the sheer amount of talking I do, sometimes uh, 50 minutes or more straight, I'm having trouble getting through my shows. And uh, well, I'm going to try to do something about it now, so I'll take this more seriously. I'm going to see a voice specialist, and I've started a regimen of alternative treatments and hopefully, I'll see some improvements. That's um, not happening right away, though. And there are also uh, some other physical problems, which I have to attend to in the next few weeks, uh, tests and procedures of various kinds. Uh, and, and there's a sort of bottom line to all this. I'm far from young, and my energy level just isn't what it used to be. Uh, I definitely think it's time to... Uh, take a pause and recharge my uh, old batteries. So I've decided, <coughs> and the program director here at PRN has generously agreed to it, I've decided to take a, a sort of short sabbatical from the show and uh, to seriously work in various ways to attend to my health and well-being. And this will involve um, other things besides, um, you know, just physical health. Because while I'm at it, while I'm taking the sabbatical, this is a working sabbatical for me, working at my, uh, at my health but at my whole life, uh, I want to take some time off here to reflect uh, on the 40 years that I've been on the radio. It's 40 years almost. I want to think about why I started doing radio and what I'm achieving by doing this show now and what my future on this show would be. <clears throat> so at the moment... Uh, that I'm doing this now, starting uh, next week I won't be here, uh, live. But I'm not sure what you'll be hearing in this spot. I mean, that's up to the program director. Uh, maybe I'll have some input. Either there'll be replays of my old shows, which I decide are worth hearing, and some of them I think are. Uh, maybe some replays of other shows on PRN, or maybe live fill-ins. That's a possibility, too. Or some combination of all of this. We'll see what happens. And anyway, and as always, I, um, I just want to say I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity I've had to broadcast here on PRN and also, of course, for all the other opportunities I've had at other stations going back for four decades. And since I obviously have a tendency towards the dramatic, I just want to say that um, I'm not going off in the wilds, or not completely. I'm not traveling uh, to discover myself in the actual wilds. So uh, feel free. If you want to communicate with me, I always want to hear from people who listen to the show. I mean, that connection is why I went on the air in the first place. So thanks for listening, and I will see you soon. Well, it's all. Wonder what tomorrow will bring. Maybe a diamond ring. Well, it's all right, even if the sea are wrong.
If you're by my side 